Hello, Namaste, Dab. Satsiakal, Konnichiwa, Nihao, Nisa, Bula, and Vanakam. Welcome to the Shore Project Podcast, where we make sure about migrant challenges and how to overcome them. I'm Janvi. And I'm Anushka, and we're your podcast hosts. This is our first ever Coming to Shore segment. So today we will be sharing stories submitted by our audience around their migrant experiences, the challenges that they have faced, and any advice they have for overcoming them. This is a monthly segment, so if you have a story to share, please head over to the Shore Project Instagram or website where you can find the submission link, or simply DM us. Just a reminder, while we may provide some general advice around mental health in this podcast, it may not be applicable to your specific situation, and that if you are needing support with anything, it is best to discuss it individually with a mental health practitioner. Alrighty, we have actually had an overwhelming number of responses this month, and thank you so much to everybody who has submitted their stories. Due to the time limitations, we will only be reading two of these submissions today, and we'll explore the rest in the upcoming weeks. The focus of today's submission is mainly around the international student experience. So let's just get right to it. Our first submission is that of a 25-year-old male who is an international student from India. Yep, so our first um, question in the form is actually about the migrant story. So it says, tell us your migrant story. For example, how did you end up in Australia? Okay. And this person has said, I'm an international student and came to Australia to experience a new form of education and culture. I wasn't happy with what I was pursuing back at home and decided to look at another related field of study in an international domain. Right. Look, yeah, I think that's fantastic. I mean, that's, that's a really good summary of why people tend to come from overseas to study yeah. here. You know, it's not just about the education factor or the academic factor, but the fact that they would like to immerse themselves in a whole new culture, right? Yeah, and learn something new, like get a completely different perspective about life, I think, in general. Oh, totally. Do you think that that's a really big part of it? Um, like being an international student, though, you know, like in, like learning about culture, because, you know, we we think about learning and we think about education when we think about learning. So we think university, we think high school, mm. we think all of these other educational institutions, but you learn a lot from life. Right. Yeah. And I think we discussed this in our previous episode, but the notion of moving overseas and starting a new life in a cultural and assimilating mm -hmm. can really impact like your life skills like you yes. you gain so many life skills by being here yes absolutely. and I think you know that's like a really really big factor in like the way that you can pursue the rest of your life the way that you apply those skills to the future mm. yeah I guess so and I think one skill we touched based on last time was flexibility or you can also say adaptability and I think that is a very important skill in general. Um, you know, like, for example, we keep moving back from lockdown to no lockdown. And even that requires adapting again and then getting back to the routine and then changing your routine. So I think it's just this main skill which can be like applied in every different domain of your life. You know, let's say, you're, you know, your bus didn't turn up today. How do you adapt to that? You know, so I think moving to a different country can really help, you know, because, um for me, it was as little as starting your own bank account. And I had no idea how to do that. Um, yeah. Also going grocery shopping and then slowly you adapt to it, you learn. And then once you, you know, you go there, you open a bank account and you realize, oh, wait, this is actually not that difficult. Maybe I can, you know, go set up some other account, like go to university, get my ID, you know. So I think that skill and that, um, you know, like coming to a different country and really getting that change and learning those skills is very vital. And like you mentioned, it can be, it's applicable throughout your life. 
Absolutely. And you, you build on those skills as well. Yeah, um, yeah. The other factor that I really love about this is he touches on culture. Mm. And, but, you know, we spoke about that in our last episode as well, um, mm. in the sense of how there's huge cultural differences between um, the students from India and, I guess, Australian culture, right? Mm. And so you are getting absorbed in a whole new culture. You are learning about how things work here, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. You're learning about language. You're learning about slang. You're learning about um, just, like, the everyday functions of, yeah. you know, this new country. And I think that's beautiful. Like, I would absolutely love the idea of moving overseas and immersing myself completely in a whole different culture. There's a lot to learn from it. You can, you know, really adapt the values of a different culture if you're there. Um, I think it's a really, really cool thing for people to do. Mm -hmm. I do think it's a very, um, how do you, how would you explain it? I think it's also something that takes a lot of resiliency. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Because yeah. it's all about trial and effect, uh, trial and error as well, right? Um, you know, sometimes um doesn't work out, and then you realize, oh wait, this this method does not work out, and then you go and try another method. Um, let's, exactly. Even when you do your first assignment in uni, you, you don't really know because it's really different from what we do. Uh, I've done in India. Like, um, in India, it was very, it was not so application based. Here, it's extremely application based and very independent work. You know, uh, there in India, we had like tuitions and everybody was doing the same thing, so you could, you know, go and you know share and do it together. But here, it's really independent work. You know. Um, hey, that's a really great point, right? I mean, you make that that whole adaptability that we were talking about before, that leap mm -hmm. from high school to university here mm -hmm. in Australia in itself is a huge leap. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really big step to be taking a lot to adapt to because you do go from a very, um, I guess, a very collective based learning style where your teachers are already, like, always there behind your back and pushing you to do things and you're going to tutoring and you're in study groups and all that other stuff and yes. then you move to university and it automatically becomes very independent very quickly yes. and you're all held accountable for you know how much work you do how much work you yes. don't do um you're even held accountable for like your group assignments as well yes and so i guess the differences between how things are done internationally maybe back at home is is different to how things are done here and that is a huge thing in itself to be adapting to like you know overcoming that is a challenge in itself yes yes absolutely speaking of challenges yeah definitely but, yeah <laughs> so good, good. sorry go ahead I was going to say the next question. Yeah, I was going to say the next question. The next question is on running on the same line. So what are some challenges you face as a migrant or as a child of migrant parents and that is due to culture, etc.? And this person replied saying, uh, meeting new people in the wake of the pandemic was difficult. Trying to understand new cultures through a Zoom meeting was almost impossible and took a lot of effort from both sides. The style of education was new as well as and involved a new steep learning curve as we understood what we expected of us in a very short amount of time. Things would have been very different if there were more face-to-face -face interactions, which would have greatly improved the quality of social relationships we formed. Yeah, oh my God. Okay, this is where I really feel for international students who moved yeah. here at the start of 2020. Because yeah. you know what you had, if you moved in January, you had maybe a solid three months to try and like, as, yeah. like assimilate to the country and get yourself together before we just shut down completely especially if you were in victoria and you know yeah. there were six months of lockdown straight up like we had a few gaps here and there but this person makes a really good point about how face-to-face mm -hmm. -face interactions can actually make a huge difference 
And yeah. this isn't something that I think is unique just to the international cohort, but um, I work in education. So mm. something that I've seen a lot of, um, both in private clients and in my school context, is um, people who have had to go into learning straight away online, especially in the university context, like on, you know, first year uni and everything's online. They've really struggled with that social aspect because normally, yes. right, you get that social support from your tutors, you get that social support from your peers more mm. often than not. So even though it's like a very independent sort of space and you've got to learn how to do everything yourself, that is so much harder to navigate online. It's so much harder to navigate by yourself. And it's so much harder when you aren't sitting next to someone in class and making friends and like, you know, working through your like group projects mm. or like your assignments or checking in with other people. Like that process of university becomes difficult. And then they'll add a layer for like, I guess, new university mm. students and international students in particular mm. is that social aspect because social social ability I guess or like being able to socialize with other people mm. means that you are getting information that you wouldn't otherwise receive and I think that's a really big part of the international experience is you're coming here you have no one else you don't have family you probably don't have friends I mean for the most part you know some people have family some people do have friends some people have someone or the other that is here but for the most part a lot of people don't and I think that's a real struggle because how are you supposed to network if you don't see people in person like I mean yeah you can do some things online but it's not the same a face-to-face -face interaction allows you to build that connection with another human being and you know like that impacts on you being able to navigate your way through say the city navigate your way mm -hmm. through like university it's you you navigating your way Just through day -day. life and any experience yes. becomes so much more difficult you know yes, yes. um how did you feel were you studying last year i was i was studying uh, but before i talk about that actually one observation that i had during my university mm -hmm. was i don't know if you observed it but in the first year everybody is like together everybody's excited yeah. and you know they share experiences but as the year passes on and you know let's say you reach in the third year you realize everybody's become kind of independent um you know your friends sometimes choose other electives or they go in different classes or they you know sometimes they change their courses so i think mm. when you mentioned that especially for the individuals who are doing your first year in uni or in high school or any transition major transition and doing it online it is very difficult because you don't have anybody to share lived experiences with you know absolutely like, and like you know that transition from online and then to this year where things have been like sort of back and forth. in the sense that you are online offline yeah. you know online back on campus again like that is really really difficult. stressful that is yeah. a stressful like situation to be going through because yeah. it is so uncertain and it is so unstable mm. that like you don't even get that opportunity to like build or form right. those connections with people right like Absolutely. some of my closest friends are from uni and mm. it's because we were in class together and because we were doing group situations together or because like i don't think i would have been able to get through university without some of my peers exactly absolutely i would yeah. definitely agree to that it, and and you know that's the whole thing right you know some, sometimes i met your age students and they give you so much life experience like you know listening to them or like you're coming back to uni after like 20 years of just working and that just opens your eyes to and you know brings you new perspective you know so these things are very important i can imagine how it must be so difficult for this person to yeah. do zoom as soon as uh, they've landed in a new country i did that last year after having three years of full-on interaction with you know university having that university mm. life and i still found it very tricky um, yeah and you know uh, last year was even tougher like some people were also not employed so you know i think having that balance 
um, you know, getting that balance of working, studying, socializing, yeah. volunteering gives you that real, um, I guess, like really, you know, that idea of what what university life is. Like that's a whole mix. Yeah, it bag, does. You know? Yeah. But did you also find, like, because everything was online last year and, you know, a majority of us were working from home, like, the that work-life balance was a bit skewed as well because oh. you would sit in front of your laptop, and this is just a very general COVID thing, but you, like, do your university say you know your lectures for a couple of hours and then you're like okay I'm going to work online now okay now I'm going to do like interactions with my friends online as well and everything was online and because we had so many more hours in the day there's no travel time involved you're not really leaving your bedroom um that idea of like adapting to the way that the world works when we come back out of COVID I think is where like the stress really is because all of a sudden mm. you do have to commute in and out of uni. You do have to commute from uni to work, mm. you know, all of that is an added layer to each other. And then all of a sudden you find yourself not maybe doing as much as you normally could. Mm. And then you go back into lockdown and then you're still not doing as much as you could because you're getting used to adapting to that space again. I mean, I think it was just that over, over that period of time, like there's, there's so much of an impact on how we adapt and how flexible we can really be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, big round of applause to everyone who was able to adapt yes. to COVID last year. And I know that everyone went through a really hard time. It is a uncertain time even now for us. But honestly, I don't think like as a as an entire society, everyone needs to be given a little bit more credit, especially uni students yeah. who are doing online learning and you know, also studying and also trying to maintain social life and everything else on top of that. Like it is hectic at the best of times, let alone during a global pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really, really important acknowledgement. Mm. Um, but hey, still on this uh, same question, he talks about like the style of education was new. And I'm just wondering, you know, we you were talking about style of education and the difference between Australia and India and I'm also thinking like that must be so much harder to adapt to if it is online learning because online learning is like online learning here in Australia is different to in-person learning as it is for the most part right so how do you adapt from India to online learning in Australia to in-person learning do you think that would have been a harder process I think so because I remember the first uh, time when you go to uni first year there's all that you know support you know they give you like handouts and pamphlets of um you know you can go to the student hub and they can help you and orientation and having that online is I guess very tricky I haven't had that experience having orientation online, but I remember my orientation, my first year of uni really, really helped me um, in regards to understanding how to write assignments. I remember I used to go to, um, I don't know what they call student volunteers. They, they're, they're oh, in the library. Yeah, yeah, in the library. And they really helped me. So I think I'm not, I'm not sure if uh, online provided that this year, but I'm guessing like those are some experiences and those are some things that are very important to sustain during your university life. Um, like, mm. you know, um, referencing your assignments, how to write them, how to meet people, how to, uh, you know, do your group assignments and how yeah. to Hey, on that same topic, though, like, yeah. you asked a really good question about whether they provided it. I wonder, and I, and I have a very strong feeling that the universities were still providing all of these services, but I wonder that without the word of mouth and having those face-to-face mm. rea- uh, interactions with other students and peers and being just out, you know, on campus and someone handing you a pamphlet or just being like, hey, mm. you know, this thing is going on today. I wonder whether if, like, people were actually aware of what was available to them. You know, sometimes there are resources yeah. out there. And this is, I mean, you know, again, one of the reasons that we're doing, we're doing it, this yeah. podcast 
is because there are resources out there and we can't, most people don't actually know what the resources are. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm wondering whether it was the same for COVID and uni and online learning, like, are there resources out there and do people just not know about them because, you know, it hasn't been conveyed to them or because, you know, they haven't had the opportunity to hear about it from word of mouth because you're not as connected as you would have liked to be. Mm. Um, That's a very interesting question. And yeah, it's actually quite interesting to think of. Yeah. Actually, if anyone is listening to this and wants to um, give us a bit of feedback around that, we would love that. Yeah, that would be really helpful. I'm very curious about the entire experience. Um, I mean, look, I'm looking at this now and I'm also thinking, damn, can you imagine coming here last year, right, as an international student, not really having anyone, then being in lockdown? Like, that would have been a really lonely experience. Yeah, I cannot imagine. Yeah, definitely. I felt lonely when there were so many people around me, even uh, in in the first year. Lonely as in, you know, like trying to navigate that way. Yeah. um, Trying to figure it out. So I can imagine that, how it would have been for Somebody just because that of... aspect of loneliness is already there yeah. when you migrate, right? Yeah. I mean, whether you've got a family or not, you are leaving a huge chunk of your life behind yeah. to come here. So you're already battling that. And when yeah. you're stuck in, say, an apartment for weeks on end by yourself and you can't go back home, that's the other thing. You mm. can't go back home. No one can come here. You haven't had the opportunity to meet other students and get to know them. Um, it just... Like, it, it blows my mind. Like, that is some serious resilience to be able to get through that space. Yeah, and what makes me wonder as well, tough. how many mental health issues would mm. have come with that? You know, I mean, I can imagine that that would be a lot of loneliness, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, maybe mm. some depression. Um, actually, you know what? RMIT did a, this wonderful video, and I will include it as part of our resources for this week, um, around the international student um experience i think during covid it was mm-hmm. more around their communication with their parents but it was it was a really interesting video because i think one of the people that speak in the video actually touch on this and i think it'd be really cool for everyone to have a listen to and watch and just really get an idea of what it felt like to be an international student who's new brand new to the country when the pandemic started and in, actually, on that note, I've been, I actually read a research on international students, especially the PhD uh, level, like master's level, who are doing their research. Yeah. And imagine being stuck in lockdown when your research is, let's say, very um, human-focused, you know, like uh, yeah. asking questions. So that can also put a hold on a, a whole, like, PhD, you know, and that's no joke, to be honest. Like, what do you do in that situation, right? Okay, but literally, this this was an issue, like, um, last year I was doing my master's as well, and for some of my um, peers, this was an issue because they couldn't go ahead with their research project, right? Because yeah. it was very, like, it was focused around people in real life interacting, meeting people face-to-face. Hmm. But you're right, as an international student, A, we have so many issues around visas already and yeah. being here and, you know, immigration and all of that. Like, this adds that extra layer on top of that, right? Like, you, if your studies are being delayed because of COVID, what do you do? Because there is so much uncertainty attached to it. And yeah. I know for a lot of um, international students, it's also like, well, if I don't finish in time, then I don't, you know, like my visa doesn't either get extended or I can't switch a visa to like a working visa and then I can't stay here and work and then do I have to go back home after? Because mm. there's always that expectation, right? Mm. There's that mild expectation. And this is something that I've heard from some of my clients is that you come from overseas to here to study, 
but you don't just go back home. You come here and you build something of a life. So you, yeah. you, you work, you get a bit of experience. You know, even if you are to return back home, you've sort of got to accomplish a few more things before you go back. You need to be like, this was worth my time being here. Yes, and I yeah. think that's been really difficult for a lot of people. Like, you know, if study has been delayed or if, even if study hasn't been delayed, then going to the workforce was very difficult this mm. year as well. Yeah. And then, you know, learning to the optimal level that you can to take those skill sets back. And then the stress of like, well, do I stay here or do I go? What's my next move? Because you just don't know. No, like, do yeah. you stay here for the next five years and potentially never see your family again? Or do you go back and potentially never come back again? Yeah. And I think that's a lot of heavy questions to be asking, but it is something that I think dwells in the minds of a lot of uh, migrants who are coming here for study and education and for work. Mm, absolutely. I would agree to that. Yeah. What, what, let's see what's the next question. Do you want to read that out? Yeah, sure. So it goes, how did you overcome those challenges and do you have any tips for the audience? Okay, this is my absolute favorite answer. Yeah. Can I just say I love it so much. So he's gone, being patient with the way things are helps. There are a multitude of factors outside of your control and predicting what will happen week to week is next to impossible. Staying connected with people you meet is important as well as it makes for an easier transition back into normal life as things settle down. Picking up a hobby or interest relating to the new country helps as well as it makes for interesting conversation in the local context and helps to strengthen bonds which would otherwise be separated by culture. Community sport is a great example of this. I love this. Love it too. So he covers everything. Like mm. Ben said, this is, I don't know, this is the advice I would probably give to my clients mm. um, around, you know, how do you settle into a new country and what are some tips that you can have? Mm. Because he covers connection. He covers, you know, self-care. He covers mm. doing hobbies. He covers getting involved in the community. And, you know, this person is right. You know, community sport is a great way to connect with other people. You meet new people. You're doing something that you enjoy. Mm. Um, it's people that are not at, maybe at university level. It might be a little bit outside of that. But it also, it makes for a great topic of conversation, you know. Yeah. And conversation is how we become connected to other people for the most part like you talk about a topic and that's how people get connected to you and they are interested in you so yeah mm. really really great tips and it keeps you fit right community sport i think that's one great yeah, I think so too. well it's definitely covering all of those different aspects yeah, yeah. also the idea of picking up a hobby or an interest you know mm. that's something that we forget about in general um, but I like that he mentions relating to the new country and that's you know that's a great way to immerse yourself into that culture it's a great way to like meet new people yeah my my hobby we'll... was uh, volunteering i i mean not hobby i would say like i guess it's an interest an interest I, I had an incentive which was career development but also apart from that that helped me uh, meet people mm. you know from a similar background um and also mindset and really connect with people on a very um you know i guess a deeper level because i think that helped me you know understand my own feel better understand other person's feel like you know, like social work, for example, yeah. like, you know, so that is a really good example. And online, what I did was last year, I used LinkedIn to communicate with yeah. people. And that's how we met, right? That's how um, we met. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so LinkedIn really helped me last year, like, you know, just having that interaction, um, you know, asking people for some suggestions on how to, um, you know, navigate my pathway. Um, yeah. And then slowly, slowly building on that, you know. Um, Absolutely. Um, this person also talks about factors outside of your control and predicting what will happen mm. 
week to week is impossible. Sure. And I think that's a really great point. So something that I like to work on with uh, my clients who are quite anxious mm. is a circle of control. It's an exercise where we look at the things that are within their control and things that are with, uh, like outside of their control. And then we look at the things within their control and how we can continue doing those things. Mm. And you know what I realized um, in my practice so far is that quite often we have a lot of big things outside of our control, you know, immigration, COVID, um, flying overseas, like, so I don't know, many things. Yeah, actually. Like, these, yeah. Are, these are all things that are outside of our control. But, you know, things that are within our control is whether we choose to connect with other people or how we think or how we feel or um, how we do self care or whether if we engage in hobbies or whether if we get involved in the community. And quite often we'll find that, yeah, these might be a lot smaller. But they're actually things that we have a sense of control over. And in an uncertain time like now, when we are living through mm. a global pandemic, it's a great opportunity to start viewing the things that we do have control over and doing those things. Because it mm. does bring back that, you know, that, that sense of certainty a little bit. You have control over certain parts of your life. And those are the parts that we've got to focus on. Focus on, yeah. Well, what would be some of them? Like, since you've, you know... Um, and just as I said, so like, you know, self-care, so, you know, and it doesn't have to be anything big, like you could go for a 10 minute walk, walk a day, Yeah. Um, you could drink like two liters of water every day, make sure you that you're eating, eating, you know, full eating. stop, the number of people that just don't eat, let alone, you know, mm. uh, eating healthy or eating well, um, staying connected with your friends so making sure that you have a balanced lifestyle between work Mm. and you know study and socializing and also time for yourself so you've got to make sure that you are always making time for you yeah um and you know even being connected back with your family at home um I know a big part of like COVID was also not being able to control what's happening overseas mm. like you know there was a there's a lot of uh really terrible COVID cases happening in different parts of the world right now and I know that that can be quite anxiety provoking quite stressful as well and knowing what you can do and what you can't do so again in that situation what's out of your control you can't stop COVID in India you can't stop COVID in Fiji like it's just gonna things are gonna happen as they happen what can you do is you can support your family you can call them you can check in on them if they need anything yeah and if you know if they if they ask you to send something over from here you could probably do that um you can just stay connected with them, you know? Right. And make sure that you're in a good enough space and you're doing well so that they're not worried about you. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it's it's a very broad sort of um, activity, but it's one that I really like doing because it puts things into perspective. Yes, absolutely. I, I think that's very important, staying with your um, connected with your family back home. It's yeah. a very, because they also feel like, okay, you're safe. You know, you talk to them every day. Uh, they also yeah. feel a sense of security because at the same time if you think about it they're somewhat going through the same thing like my child is alone there and you know yeah. how is he or she surviving you know so it's, it's a scary world and like you know what if things are getting really bad like it was in india and your child is like overseas in australia like things might not be as bad here but they they can't see that they yeah. see what they see back at home and so when yeah. things are really bad there they're like oh man like are you also going through this and you could you're like no everything's fine and it's hard to believe because that is your yeah. reality right now yeah exactly yeah so then the final question is is there a question you would like us to address in the podcast and the question is is there a possible difference in the quality of help regarding mental health when taken from someone culturally similar and someone culturally different i guess Anushka, this goes straight to you so how would you like to address this like what are your thoughts on this 
Okay, so this is a really interesting question, and I've um, I've been asked this recently by um, a few different people, actually. Like, what is the difference between seeing someone like who is from a different cultural background to you, and is it is it better to see someone who maybe comes from the same um, cultural background as you? And it's really interesting because there's a few different factors here, right? Hmm. Number one is that I think if you are to see someone from the same cultural background, they have a intrinsic idea already of like your value system either through lived experience or like I guess in my case if I was to use Umid as an example um, a lot of my clients are Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, you know Fijian Indian like we have people from all over like I guess Asia and the Asia Pacific as well Um, and aside from having lived experience as someone from that cultural background I have also done research in the area of Asian Australian mental health. So I guess that gives me that vantage point that I do understand values and value systems and I can work with the Asian population. Um, in saying that, I I guess the things that my clients don't have to sort of explain to me is like, oh, like this is my value system. So I can't really talk to my parents about X, Y, Z or, you know, filial piety is the really important value in my, in my life or academic mm. achievement is a very important value in our life or, you know, um, conformity to norms or being collectivistic is very important because that's stuff that I already understand. So they don't have to come in to explain their entire heritage and their culture for like six sessions and then, you know, wait the next, I don't know, Mm. three to five to actually explain their problem. They can just come in straight and be like, well, I'm having issues with X, Y, Z. Maybe it's trouble with, you know, communicating with their parents Mm. or setting boundaries or whatever it is. And it'll be like a culture specific issue. And I can actually help them through it because I'll be like, okay, well, I already understand this. So they're not wasting that time sort of having to explain the background of what's going on. Um, And I think that was the main reason that I became a South Asian therapist to begin with is because when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of people. I mean, I don't think there was really anyone that was supporting South Asians or Asians at all um, around, I guess, culturally competent um, mental health. And I think it makes a huge difference because what I think a lot of people found, and this was just common within the community, is like if you went to a therapist who wasn't from the same cultural background as you, you did spend a lot of time being like, oh, like I'm having this issue with my parents or I'm having this issue with my brother or like, you know, my family or my community or whatever. And they were like, oh, why don't you just go and have this conversation with them? And you're like, no, that's not how it works. So there's, you know, a level of respect and a level of like understanding and, you know, mental health doesn't exist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that is a vantage point. The vantage point is that, if you are to go and see a psychologist from the same cultural background as you, you will um, have someone who will maybe understand your cultural values better. In saying that, it doesn't mean that they're going to be the best psychologist for your problem. So while they might understand your cultural background, doesn't mean that they'll necessarily understand your issue the best. So for example, if you were to come mm. to a Amiv um, and you said to me that you had schizophrenia, that at the moment is not something that is within my competency scope. So it's not something that I would be able to like help you out with or support you with. Instead, I would refer you on to someone else, right? Because that's not within my competencies. Things that are within my competencies is culture-specific family conflict, uh, domestic violence, you know, um, trauma, uh, what else? Educational developmental psychology. So, you know, like learning disabilities and anxiety and depression and mm. other mood disorders. Like these are things that I have been trained in. So I can actually help you through. 
you know, these different issues and I can support you with them. And, you know, what else is there? Like sexual health. There's other things that like I'm, I'm actually qualified to be supporting you with. But if you came to me with a particular issue that I thought like, nope, you know what, even though we're from the same cultural background and I understand exactly where you're coming from and I'd be happy to support you with that thing, I actually can't because I don't have the competency for it. And in that case, you know, you want to go and see a site who is actually qualified to see you hmm. for the issue that you're having. Um, and I think that's really important. So I think the quality of help kind of, you know, it's a really broad sort of spectrum. Um, and it sort of really depends on what you're looking for. And that's a really important factor. And I actually do want to write a little piece on this for me. And um, you guys can eventually head over to my website or to my Instagram page where I will be talking about how do you identify what you need help with when you're going to see a therapist? And do you think it's a good idea to see a culturally similar uh, therapist and how do you actually know that your therapeutic relationship is going well um and to quote i guess there's this asian australian mental health organization called shapes and sounds and if to quote them they recently put up a post saying that seeing an asian australian mental health professional mm-hmm. might not be um the perfect thing for you or it might not be the best and it might not solve all your problems but if your issue is like a cultural issue it might actually be a good start because you'll Mm. immediately connect with someone who understands you right and then how do you like know um how do you like scan um a therapist based on you know the help you need you know what i mean like how do you know like this therapist regard like keeping culture aside would help me with the issue i'm going through um, I think, look, I, I'm a big believer in reading their bios. Yeah. <laughs> Read their bio, have a bit of a look at it. I would personally, I would call up the therapist or send in an email and just say, hey, this is, you know, my name. This is my issue that I'm facing. Is this something that you can help me with? And just see whether they send you through an adequate response. Um, mm. But, you know, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you got to go to the first session and see whether if you really vibe with that person. Mm. And sometimes you will and sometimes you won't, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um there is this, I did speak to someone about this recently in the sense that sometimes you will go to therapy and you don't know whether it's going to work because you know that, you know, it, it's sometimes it takes up to six sessions before things actually start going for you, you know, before your life starts changing dramatically. And so a lot of people go into therapy with that patience in mind. But then, you know, if you're with someone that you don't quite gel with or someone that isn't, you know, using a different therapeutic approach that is suitable to you, because that's another thing, right? And I, definitely the more and more I'm talking about this, the more and more I'm feeling like I need to make a post about this is that there are different therapeutic approaches. We've got EFT, we've got ACT, we've got uh, CBT, you know, we've got all these different types of therapies with all these different types of names and they all do different things and different things work for different people. What might work for one of my clients will not work for my other client and that is fine. But how do you know that that's the case? And I think there's a lot of different points for this. Like, you know, um, Yes, therapy takes time. It'll take time for you to heal. It also depends on how much effort you choose to put in from your end. And then, you know, how collaboratively you work with your therapist. Um, Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, that relationship is not a good relationship or it's not one that's working out. And I don't know, there are some red flags, I think, for therapy. And yeah, I think, look, it's a a very long list. So I will eventually go through and I'll put a post and they'll be part of the resources for today. So go back and have a read of that. Yeah. Um, But it's a really good question. You know, how do you flag that? And I think it's a deeper question than one that I can answer over the podcast right now. Hmm. Um, Definitely one worth checking out. Yeah, on the resources. Alrighty. So let's jump to the next submission. 
Um, so yeah. next submission is from a 21 year old female who is an international student from India. Yeah. And the first question we have is tell us your migrant story. That is, how did you end up in Australia? Did your parents move here or were you born here? Are you an international student or did you move for work? And this person has replied, I had the opportunity to live in the UK as a child. And from then on, I've always known it like to be home for me. When the time came to decide where to do my undergrad degree, my first thought was the UK. For whatever reason, that didn't work out and I ended up here in Australia. I'd, I'd never been to Australia before and got no family here, so coming here was never part of the plan. But I got admitted to a great undergrad program, especially since it gave me the flexibility that perhaps many courses in the UK wouldn't have. Within two months' time of applying, I was already here in Melbourne and ready to start my degree. Wow, two months. Two months. I was going to say, that is a, a very short amount of time. Hey, this is something that I think people don't really talk about, right? Mm. Like, the process of moving overseas is either, like, you take a really long time, mm. right? Because you prepare yourself. So I know some international students will take up to mm. six months, and they'll be like, nope, you know, or, like, up to a year, and they'll be like, I'm going to study in Australia next year, and I'm going to really prepare myself before I go, you know, like, mentally prepare myself, prepare myself in terms mm. of the things that I'm going to take with me, I'm going to settle down, et cetera, et cetera. But I know for some people, there is this uncertainty. Yeah. They don't know what's going to happen. And then you get the offer and that's it. Pack your bags, Bam. off you go. Yeah. Not even time to process it, let alone your family processing the fact that you're moving across the world. Yes, yes, yes. Like, that is crazy. Definitely experienced that myself. I had the opportunity to move within two months too. Um, yeah. But I was not ready that time. I guess I was too young. So I was like, I'll give six months to myself you know, and see how I go with it. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, that's one thing I actually haven't discussed that with a lot of my friends but there's one common thing I've with whoever I've discussed this most of them seem to have just moved you know um, yeah yeah not relying so much on the one <laughs> one year plan but I guess um, <laughs> it's a very small circle but yeah they have like just you know decided and they moved here it was very quick for them and sometimes that's hard to process until they should reach here and you're like oh wait I'm already here you know <laughs> bags packed waiting at the airport and you're like wait now what what am I doing yeah and, and the, how do I navigate yeah. you don't get that time to research right like two months I feel like okay you've applied snap you know you've got the opportunity to move now but you haven't really had time to like research and prepare and like understand because I know with some of the students who have taken a little bit more time to move here they'll do the research online they'll look up Melbourne they'll mm. see what's available here or you know they'll look up Sydney or Perth or wherever that they are moving in Australia and they'll get a better idea of like their surroundings they kind of get their bearings so that when you move here you can navigate your way a little bit more yeah and I you know I for one I cannot imagine what it would be like if I had to like snap my fingers and just pack up tomorrow and be like you know what next month I'm moving to the UK like I'd have no idea what to do when I got there yeah, that would be yeah. so anxiety provoking definitely so but you're right active. no but you're right a lot of students plan to and I yeah. guess I've noticed one thing over the past four years I think universities have become really good at really helping international students navigate their oh, life yeah. here um you know especially online because now everything's online so they kind of show it online how university really looks like and, yeah. and that's the most amazing thing and that gives so much comfort to a lot of students uh, who are moving here because you know they have this sort of curiosity at the at the same time they're a bit nervous about it you know what if it doesn't work out so I think universities are doing a great job with that when I moved here I had all the support uh, university actually was really good um, in order in 
in terms of like providing um you know shuttle bus came to pick me up i and they dropped me off at my yeah. dorm so that that's a very special feeling i still remember my first day in australia i will never forget that yeah that feeling um but yeah i guess like it's it's a great it's a you know it's a big it's a big step for most people it is a big step and it's definitely something that the more and more we speak about it the more and more i read these submissions from different people that i realize how different everyone's experiences Experience, are yeah um and also how but you know at the same time how the challenges are very similar and the degree but you know at the same time again the challenges and the degree of the challenge can be different as well and how everyone experiences things is so unique mm. but you know there's never a time where for any of these people uh, for any of these people whether the challenges are big or small that and a little bit of extra support wouldn't have gone a long way yeah. and yeah. i think that is mm. like yeah that's just it's an interesting insight into mm. people's lives and how they do make decisions and how you know you do do things to progress in your career and in your life and move forward and you know how difficult some of these steps really can be absolutely and also how for granted we take like our lives like you know i was i grew up here and i was like okay going to uni is a big step let alone you know moving across the world and doing all the rest of it along side mm. it um i think definitely took for granted my own like experience there as well mm. um But you know, on the topic of challenges, I guess the next question is what are some challenges that you face as a migrant or as a child of migrant parents, i.e. due to culture? Um and this person gone the biggest problem I faced was culture shock. So for years the word culture shock was used loosely in my school, especially since it was partly like an international school. But when I first moved here, I actually understood what it was all about. It was something as small as Australian slang terms to something more prominent. in the more independent personality styles that i saw in the per- in the people around me in me is known to be more group oriented and for us uh first the first such groups is our family i very clearly remember one of my friends talking about how relieved she was to have moved out of her family house and whilst i've done the same and in fact done more in terms of moved out from my home country i couldn't imagine describing the feeling as a relief in fact that was the reason moving away was so hard despite knowing that i'd taken this big step for a better future although it's been 3 years and i'm yet to acclimatize to the independence that is highly valued here because in a cultural upbringing i've always been taught to think of others as you go and not to be selfish in your actions the difference the say the difference in lifestyles was also another point that even led to conflict between me and my friend group as already mentioned i've come to realize that in australia people are more independent and are made responsible and accountable adults in their family homes from a young age back at home due to societal demands it is very common to see people working in others houses be it doing the cooking or cleaning before moving here i wasn't aware of the privilege i had as i had seen Uh, as i've seen it most of my life and it's prevalent in most households in india i was aware of this difference but it never brought it knowing the light uh, i was aware of this difference but i never brought it knowing the light it would put on me but after innumerable comments regarding lack of household skill knowledge i did mention the way society works at home and i'm still very aware of the way that it impacted my friendships 
I was seen as a spoiled rich international student who was merely here to exploit her family's income, and this couldn't be far from the truth. I worked hard in high school and I got into university on a merit scholarship, and my family background is more humble and down to earth rather than a rich business family. But that image is one that my friends do bring up from time and time again, even if it is regarded as a jerk. Mm. Wow, interesting. Oh, such an interesting insight. It is mm. true, though. The societal, like, I guess, demands or the, the way that society runs in different countries is so different. Like, this is mm. not uncommon in India, you know, to have, say, a maid or to have someone come and do the cooking and cleaning or whatever it is at home i mean i'm from fiji and it's not so it's not so uncommon there either you know whether if it's mm. once a week or throughout the week or whatever to have someone who is doing that like it's just house help is something that exists and i know for a fact that it's something that exists in sri lanka and in most asian countries like you have house help mm. but i think like the fact that you know those are some skills that then you don't learn and then you have to come here this is another way in which like collectivism can be it's, it's a great thing, but also like learning those independent skills. We are very codependent within our family, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, I don't know. I'm, it's sort of like this whole experience that she's describing. It reminds me of the Big Bang Theory with Raj and how he's yeah. always like, oh, like I had, you know, blah, 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 like servants. And I was rich. And he, he's portrayed as that, right? Like the yeah. rich international Indian student who's just smart mm. and, you know, yeah yeah i guess i, I just i will yeah i wonder how that stereotype works <laughs> I, i've actually never come across the stereotype uh, stereotype before but yeah. um it's a very interesting one you know i i, I don't think uh, i guess it must be i don't know how it must be feeling in terms of um being you know regarded as that i think um that would feel yeah um as an international student and you know your friends joking about it i don't think I think it would really invalidate your feelings. I think you feel a bit discounted, you know, that your effort was not as much as maybe your friends have put in or that, hey, like, she's just a rich girl. Like, that's not the case, you know. Because uh, honestly, like, yeah, money... Middle class people have have yeah. people come and help out at home like that's just how it works and also like you know money can yeah it can get you an admission as well and it can bring you here but what you do here with your time and your resources is completely up to you and i think that oh. should never be invalidated by anybody and as an international student i was very unfair to myself when i did that i did that i, I felt like you know what am yeah. i doing yeah, i'm so far away i'm wasting my family's money like you know and then i realized wait a minute like that's so unfair to me you know i have survived i have lived without my family in terms of being far away from them i have faced my own challenges i have overcome them i am facing some now i'm overcoming them now and i think that's a victory in itself um absolutely damn straight it is because you know what it's like what we uh, spoke about earlier you are learning new skills Mm. you're learning to navigate this whole new like lifestyle and this entire paragraph is such a great explanation of a collectivistic culture versus versus an individualistic culture and you know what one of those advantage points of being part of an individualistic culture is that you do learn to be so much more independent yeah you know um it's definitely something that i've learned you know growing up here in australia Mm. is being independent you know we Mm. we are responsible for certain things at home and you know even though we we grew up as a like you know as a tired family unit and you 
do learn to sort of rely on each other and be codependent on certain things, there are other things that we've learned to sort of mix in that individualism into because this is where we grew up, right? Mm. But I mean, that wasn't so much the case as maybe how my parents grew up back at home. Yeah. Um, And I think it's really interesting, you know, that this is a perspective that she's found coming here and that the independent personality styles is something that it's like, whoa, this is a bit of a shock. Mm. That and like, you know, being group oriented like you know maybe wanting to go and do something with your group and they're like no why can't you just do this thing by yourself like yeah. why, do, why do we need to be involved in this process you know yeah yeah definitely experience that myself as well uh <laughs> i've been why do you want me to come grocery shopping with you like you're going grocery shopping for yourself you know and yeah why can't you do it yeah <laughs> and that was i literally was a shock for me and at that time i didn't have the awareness of individualistic versus collectivistic um and I thought something was wrong with me. Like, why don't I, why can't I do it myself, you know? That's actually a really interesting point. Like, you know, not knowing the the difference and not knowing the words for not the things being that you're aware. experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, like not being able to attribute that to something. Yeah, exactly. difficult, I think. Because when you know the word for something, you're like, okay, right. You know what? This actually has a bit of a label and my experience is not invalid. Like, this is actually something that people go through. Okay, right. Yeah. And there's now nothing wrong in it. Know? It's just how it works yeah. here. And you got to adapt slowly, you know. Third time, fourth time, you know, by the fifth time, you're like, okay, that's how it works. I'm going to go alone. That's that's no problem. Absolutely. You know? Um, you know what this is another really good point she talks about not being selfish in your actions but I think in our culture it is something that you know we value a lot is being with other people and always being inclusive and being very hospitable and all that sort of stuff mm. it's like a really there's a huge emphasis on doing things together mm. and like I think that when you start tasting that independence and doing things by yourself even for me growing up here like maybe sometimes doing things that are outside of like thinking about the family and how it might impact the family yeah I definitely like have thoughts about it and I'm like oh damn like am I being selfish and I'm like no no, no this is just an individual thing that I can mm. do like you're allowed to do it but it's a lot to get your head around mentally yeah I think I think initially when you start uh, making boundaries with people um mm. even with your family members this if you're from a collectivistic background I've noticed that I found that thought to be very repetitive uh, yeah but as as you kind of keep doing it and I realized yeah, once I learned about it and I studied about it yeah. and I spoke to people about it, I realized it's not a very unique experience. Uh, yeah. And it's it's at the same time, every family is different, right? Um, yeah, and it, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think slowly by surely, you kind of build that skill as well. Um, yeah. And I guess your family adapts eventually. Uh, to yeah, that as well. I agree. So, yeah, I'll just I'll just head to the next question. So the next question is, how do you overcome those challenges? And do you have any tips for the audience? So the answer is, for me, I was always aware of the fact that I'm here to get a degree and make a future of for myself. In times when I've had fight with my friends due to these cultural differences, I've used that emotional energy to reach out and connect more with family and friends at home and focus more on my studies. I'm more of an emotional person and from what I've learned is that no matter how hard things get, when you feel alone in a place that is so far away from home, the best thing is to not forget your roots. The way people from your home, the way people from your home country can understand and relate to you, it doesn't matter how many years you've lived in another country, the level of understanding of your feelings won't be the same by those from another culture. Uh, This is also something that became apparent to me when I made friends of Indian origin in Australia towards the end of my second year at uni. 
there was a level of unspoken trust and comfort and it felt very natural and easy to become friends since we had so many shared experiences of being international students hmm. for sure yeah that whole idea of having shared experiences and the connection that that brings is so important right hmm. because she's right you do end up having this level of unspoken trust it's a level of unspoken understanding as well because you're like okay you've been through what i've been through you get it Mm. um you might have had similar experiences if not the same mm. and so you can sort of you find that comfort in people and i think we we spoke about this maybe in our per- previous, previous episode one. as well about like you know community and how important that is like when we find people that are very similar to us that we can connect with them in a better way and it brings that comfort and it brings that joy that maybe you know we we might not find in people that are not from the same cultural background and yeah. this you know comes back to the same question uh, from the first um submission person who asked the question yeah around questions that you'd like to address in the podcast Hmm. um in terms of like mental health practitioners as well if you're meeting like a psychologist who is from the same background as you or from a similar cultural background you might already automatically have that comfort it it sort of comes down to that same thing because of shared experience you know yeah some similar experiences have happened between you guys in your life and therefore you have a shared understanding yeah and therefore the connection is a little bit better maybe yeah i I that trust is already automatic yeah yeah absolutely but i also have somewhat i guess a different thought to this i've experienced with both um sometimes i've had um you know I guess not very good experiences from people back home and some great experiences. So I think sometimes it's also about um, uh, definitely with international students uh, and those as, as I can, I guess, like as you, you know, you get to an end of your uni, you sort of start um, meeting people of your kind of caliber and of your um, interest level and experience. And that helps and that kind of strengthens bonds. But in the first year of uni, you're very tend to um, sometimes get into toxic friendships as well. Because at yeah. that time, all you need is um, sort of community or sort of, you know, people around you because that's where you've come from, right? Like you just need to feel safe, I feel. Yeah. And that safety comes from familiarity, which comes from, okay, you're from a similar experience yeah. to me, right? Cool. We're, we're ready to go. But you're right. There is that aspect of like, do I trust you? And if you can't, and you trust too quickly maybe sometimes and then that in itself can yeah. cause issues yeah so i guess you're right being cautious in this situation is it's also very, very important. important like it's a great tip to get involved within your own community and with people around you and mm. there's a level of understanding does come but also being wary of the fact that that can come with its own issues absolutely so the next question is is there a question you would like us to address in the podcast and this person has asked does it get easier moving to another country if you have already done it before since you will be aware of the challenges that come with it and you can be better prepared? Or just because it'll be a new country to the previous one, the cultural challenges you can expect to face would also be different. So prior history of migration may not help with that at all. Mm. Really great question. A few parts to this as well. Look, as someone who has moved countries um, and there's someone who works with a lot of people who migrate all over the place and have probably lived in multiple countries and had to do the migration process many times, Mm. I would say that it does get easier. And it gets easier in the sense that the skills you learn from migrating the first time can be transferred over. So whether you move from India to Australia and then to Sri Lanka and then to Vietnam and then to the UK, yes, 
you're right. The country will have different cultural values. It'll have a different value system and all that sort of stuff. But the skills that you probably learned when you first moved to the, you know, the first country, so say that it's Australia, that can be used when you migrate again. And the skills that you're learning include adaptability, it includes flexibility, it includes assimilation. You know, you, your brain is learning how to process a new language, how to mm-hmm. process slang, how to navigate its way around. And so you're learning skills for where to find information, um, how to get in contact with people, how to connect with people, um, all sorts of different things from your experiences. So I think the next time that you move, it becomes a little bit easier because you're like, okay, I've done this in another country. Um, Last time I moved, I did X, Y, Z. You know what? Now I have a better idea of how I'm going to adapt to this new situation. Yeah. And yeah, while it may take a little bit of time to adapt to a culture, if it's a little bit different, I think it's easier to do the whole migration process in general because you learn how to deal with immigration. You learn how to do, you know, uh, set up a bank account, all that sort of stuff. And I know that that, that sort of differs from country to country as well. Mm. But that that, uh, that confidence that comes with, like, I've already done this before, mm. I can do it again, mm. is there now. You know, you don't mm. have that the first time sometimes. You don't have that confidence of, like, oh, man, like, this is a bit scary. The mm. second, the third, the fourth time around, if you're moving countries over and over again, you sort of, it becomes a bit, like, ingrained in you. Like, no, I actually have the confidence to do this. I've done this before this isn't going to be that much different. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree to that. And yeah. I think change can always be um, intimidating. Any type of change, Absolutely. definitely. But like you mentioned, uh, once you have that confidence and you have the skills, you sort of apply automatically and you know where to look for answers if you have some questions um, in regards yeah. to, uh, you know, yeah, to the challenges you're facing. Um, yeah. So I guess, and yeah, I would definitely second you on that, saying that, yeah, once you have moved a few countries or even one country, you kind of gain a little bit of confidence. And you keep, it's like moving houses, you know? The more houses yeah. you move, the easier you adapt to houses. To new. <laughs> That's actually true. That, like the second time you have to pack everything, you're like, okay, no, now I know what my essentials are. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I think that's a big thing. And also, like, you know what to research. I think mm. when you move countries the first time, it's a bit daunting. You you don't really know what you're looking for. The second time you're moving to a different country or the third time, by that time, you're like, okay, I actually know that I should go into the immigration website for this country and look up X, Y, Z. Mm. You know, or if I'm moving for work or if I'm moving for uni again, what am I supposed to be looking for? Okay, these are the questions that I need to ask. Or like, you really learn how to adapt in the sense of like what do i need to do to adapt absolutely what are the steps i need to take yeah what are the steps you need to take yeah yeah becomes so much more prevalent totally agree that's that's really good advice i think and so finally we come to the end of our story sharing and coming to shore i think um really helped uh listening to the story myself just talking about it i I guess i feel really yeah i feel relieved i don't know yeah it's, it's, it's a great um learning experience i think for me these stories what they do is it teaches me a lot about the international student experience um Mm -hmm. and you know in the future like other migrant stories that we have coming up uh from third culture kids so that's going to be really interesting to read out as well Mm -hmm. so so those are kids who are either born here or brought up i would be interested i know because i haven't read those stories yeah yeah, absolutely. I think it's really fascinating. And I think for me, what it does as a professional is it gives me insight into different experiences, which mm-hmm. I think really will support me as an individual to better understand some of the clients that come my way. Yeah, um, I think that's what I really love. I mean, I love learning about other people's experiences. And I think it's great for, you know, day to day conversations and engaging with others as well. Mm. 
but yeah, I, I truly think that this information that we get from people submitting their stories is super helpful to the people who are listening to the podcast because mm. A, you know that you're not alone in this. B, other people have had similar uh, experiences to you. And C, they're giving some really great tips. Yeah. Like, those were really, really great. Like, thank you so much to the, these two Absolutely. people who submitted their story and provided these um, solutions and you know, these tips um, to us because I, that was just fantastic. Like, They're very really realistic. Appreciated. Very realistic. Yeah, mm. I agree. Yeah. Anyways, with that, we come to the end of a podcast today. Uh, you can find the resources link for today's podcast topic at umidpsychology.com.au slash shore hyphen project hyphen podcast or simply on our Instagram at shore project podcast. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for your sub, uh, submissions and just keep listening and subscribing. Stay positive and test negative, everyone. Thank you so much.